Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness by doing something completely different. <laughs> so yeah. we had an interview with uh, Mr. Pete Jones a couple weeks ago that went out and uh, was very well received. And today um, Pete and I got together and he wanted to interview me. And he's going to get his own podcast going here very shortly at goodinthehead.com. So what I'm going to do is basically turn it over to him and play guinea pig as he uh, takes me through an interview. So Pete, welcome, my friend. The mic is yours. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me uh, back up here um, for this opportunity to get to know you better. And um, during this interview, my goal is not to only get to know you a lot better, um, but to extract your own personal ingredients for your elixir of your ideas of success and to see some tools that maybe you've learned and acquired along the way and worked with that have helped you. I'll want to know which tools you've acquired and used to build and fashion the life you're now living and to know where you see yourself, your marriage, and your business in 10 years. Uh, first off, I was wondering if we could start with you describing the young Jason Archer, <laughs> giving us a brief history of your childhood. I mean, what were the experiences that made you into the man you are today? Wow. Well, there's a there's a lot, right? Everything leads up to now, and I'll do my best to be a good guest for you today. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so so young life for me was rural Georgia. You know, my parents got married young. Uh, they were. 18, 19 years old. In fact, I think my dad turned 19 one weekend and got married the next. How did they meet? Uh, they met at school. They went to the same uh, rural high school. And uh, my dad and my mom, I believe they started dating late in their high school careers, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh. So they, they got together on some crazy circumstances. My mom, like I said, came from an abusive household. My dad came from an abusive household. And one day my mom's dad was going irate, you know, just crazy ape shit in the house, scaring, scaring everybody. And so they left the house and they went and hid uh, in a ditch not too far from the house. And the story goes that they called my dad and my dad went and picked up my mom and never took her back. And that's kind of how they got together. And when you said they left the house, um, was it her and her siblings? Yeah, her and her mother. And her sister and brother. I'm not sure if everyone was there or not. I don't know all the details. They're they're pretty, you know, guarded when you ask them about it. Yeah. However, I get the sense it was more than more than her, more than one person. Interesting. Yeah. Has has uh, a level of healing taken place for her with her dad? And I mean, that sounds like quite a background history. Yeah. You know. Listen. I mean, they didn't have the tools, right? I mean, they came from a hard generation. You know. Yeah. Uh, you talking. World War II, Korean War, that era, you know, uh, they came from a hard generation. They didn't have the tools. They, they grew up in a rural area. All they knew was hard work. And, you know, as long as they had food on the table and the bills paid, everything was good. You know, they, they lived off the land largely. They had, commu they had strong communities, you know. Right. Uh, and when it came to family life and, and rearing kids, all they knew was what they knew when they were growing up, which was life is hard. We got to be hard on the kids and it takes a lot of labor and effort to keep everything going. So, you know, that's what they, that's what they came together with. And then when my brother and I came along, you know, that, that pattern continued, obviously they, 
you know, they took the lessons that they could and they knew what they didn't want to create. They knew what they didn't want to create. Right. Yeah. And they did their best to plug into churches and, you know, uh, community groups and all the rest of it. However, you know, all of those things follow you wherever you go. Right. So my brother and I, although our childhood was chaotic, it was nowhere near as chaotic as theirs, you know, so each generation kind of lessened a little bit and, uh, you know, coming up in that, uh, my, my, my mother was a fighter. She's a real fighter. She'll whip your ass. And my dad <laughs> was a uh, just all around good person, you know, just a, a really good conversationalist, uh, love people. And, um, you know, his situation was different than hers because he had polio. So he couldn't run away when his dad came after him and wanted to beat him. Right. So he had to learn to placate people and to calm people down and deescalate situations. And so you had a fighter with someone who was deescalating, right? <laughs> so you learned some skills from those interactions as well, I'm, I'm guessing. I learned what I didn't want. That's all that they, they modeled for me. And as a kid, now, yeah. as an adult, I can look back and I have different, you know, I have different memories and I've, you know, I can rewrite my past and see it differently. As a kid, though, no, I just knew that I didn't want that relationship. So I knew it was that uncomfortable it, for you then when yeah, you were I, younger. Yeah, my brother actually did a better job of learning people skills from that situation. He learned to go back when things were tough and to negotiate and placate and de-escalate. I learned to withdraw. That was my that was my only skill. I was like, "This is how you guys going to be? I'm, you know, I'll be over here." Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> kind of on a few of your podcasts you had mentioned going down to the basement by a certain age and just kind of disappearing yeah. and having your own safe life down there. Yeah, as soon as I was old enough to, you know, have my own space, I was gone. I was I would come through the front door. I would the basement door was ten feet from the front door. I walked down the basement door and I was gone. Disappeared. Didn't want to, you know, didn't want to run into the buzz saw that that would be the chaos in my household every once in a while, right? So that's what I learned. I learned to avoid and um it would be many, many, many years before I actually learned that that's not a good way to go through life. <laughs> yeah. uh, how old were you when you decided that that wasn't uh, any longer the path you wanted to take and started acquiring skills? You know, I have to I have to give my brother a lot of credit here. When we got out of when I was in college, when I left college, my brother had gone to a small school in South Carolina to play football, and then he decided to leave without graduating. I graduated from University of Georgia. I met him in the Carolinas where he was running a store for my uncle. And in that moment when I saw him interacting with people, customers, clients, employees, I realized that I didn't have the skill set that he had. I realized that I wasn't the person who was going to be capable of making a sale or enrolling someone, which is what every conversation is a sale. So at the end of the day, if you want someone to take on your point of view, you have to be able to frame it in a way they can digest it. So watching after college, this is after college. So after, you know, after seeing him and going into the real world, I realized that I had to change. Now I'd started picking up these skills in college, of course. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but they were very, uh, they were put in front of me and crystallized when I saw him in the real world doing his thing. I like that. Yeah. You know, the Jay Shetty said, uh, we can't be what we can't see. And we only know what we know. But when we're able to see others exhibiting uh, any kind of a 
a characteristic that we want to acquire and they do it well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously a lot of work's gone into that. And I love being able to go to the source of something that I view as great or admirable and being able to pick it apart or ask that person questions and learn from them. Did you go to your brother or anybody else in, in the new desire to acquire those skills and practice? I don't think I went to him because my ego at the time wouldn't allow that. You know, he's my little brother, yeah. you know, um, what does he know that I don't know kind of a thing sure. didn't exist in my mind. He was just, he was just my kid brother. And then when I saw him, I realized that I had to let go of that, right? He was doing things that I had, I didn't have the skill set to do. And so I couldn't sit around and be jealous of that. I had to sit around and figure out a way to incorporate that in my life. And so I never really went to him. But there were conversations that I had with him about how I appreciated his skill and his way of being with people and how I didn't learn that skill coming up in our household and how he did and how two people can come from the same environment and, you know, evolve two different skill sets in dealing with the world. And I saw that in those conversations, you know, his way of being was far superior to mine, like far superior to mine. He was getting... He was getting results and getting people enrolled in what he wanted them to do, whether it was a sale or a conversation or whatever the thing was, a date, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, And I wasn't, I was failing miserably. So there's at some point you have to look at your results and say, you know what, what I'm doing is ridiculous. It's pointless. The results are shit. So it's probably time for me to take a look at, you know, another way of being. And that, you know, that's when the cracks started to form in my little, you know, self-righteousness, ego-centric world where I thought I had all the answers, you know. Huh. How, how did that make you feel at first? I mean, uh, you know, totally, I felt less than, you know, I felt um, not up to the task. I felt like I, w- I didn't have value or worth. I felt like, um, you know, just everyone else was better than me. Everyone mm-hmm. else had something that I didn't have. And, you know, that whole spiral of self-talk that, you know, creeps in when you have doubt or despair around a particular aspect of life. You name it, I probably said it to myself a million times over. And in that place, you know, it, it, uh, you have, you have two choices, right? You can sit there and, and wallow in it and believe it and continue to fall down that rabbit hole and, and let it get darker and darker and darker. Or you can say, well, this isn't, actually factual. There have been some successes in my life. There have been some things that I've been good at. There have been some things that I've achieved and accomplished. And, you know, maybe I should start looking at this a different way. Maybe this is something I can accomplish. Maybe this is something that I need to take a second look at. And in that place, when you start asking the questions, everything starts to open up. I like that. Do you have a uh, favorite childhood memory? Yeah, I have a few, actually. I had a great childhood. I mean, you know, the, the house was crazy, uh, but it was that time in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, where you had freedom, you know. So you leave the house and no one would see you until dark, you know. In Those were the good old days, man. That was great, you know. You know, bicycle, skateboards, exploring through the woods. Um, one, of my, one of my earliest memories is sitting out front of a little brick house that my parents built out in uh, Madison County, Georgia, and it was a sunny day. I was just sitting in the dirt and I was playing with one of those old metal Tonka trucks. Mm, you know? I remember those. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're all plastic now, but I remember, I just remember sitting there and in the sun, just being content and happy. And, uh, 
you know, th- those were some of the best, uh, I guess you'd say, not maybe, maybe not the best, but some of the most vivid, colorful, nostalgic memories that I carry. Those and then times at the lake house with my grandparents, you know, sitting on the dock or fishing, you know, stuff like that. You know, those are the things that I really hearken back to. And that's one of the reasons that I'm driven today to create the wealth that I want to create because my next home will be a lake house on Lake Hartwell in Georgia so that I can relive those memories with, you know, my wife and whoever else we choose to invite in, you know. Nice. Sounds like you're very clear on your path for the future. I'd like to think so, you know. I think clarity definitely helps. But this is something that when even when I meditate, like I go to that place when I, you know, um, or when I'm, you know, you know, when you're doing something hard and people are like, well, go to your happy place, Mm -hmm. go to your happy place. (laughs) Well, my happy place is, you know, sitting at the end of the dock, dangling my feet in the water, just, you know, relaxing and enjoying the boats go by. That was visualizing my, that was my the future as though it's happening now and then feeling those feelings and, and allowing your body to inject those chemicals and hormones into your bloodstream and, and basically making it a reality sooner than if you hadn't thought of it at all. Yeah, you know, it makes those feelings real. Yeah. I remember sure. in one of your podcasts, you mentioned uh, Remember the Future. Mm-hmm. What was that about? Exactly what you just laid out, really. I mean, the reality is, or the reality that I've come to accept as reality is that the past doesn't exist and neither does the future. And so this moment right now where I'm talking to you is the only thing that's real and the only thing that exists. And so I can't remember this moment. I can live it. But if I wanted to create a moment similar to it in the future, then I can in my mind, I can travel to that place and I can visualize you and I sitting across from one another and I can visualize me answering your questions and me being a good guest on your podcast. And I can visualize that happening, which creates the memory of it happening. So what I'm actually doing in that moment is I'm going to the future and I'm creating an image that I can remember. And then when that moment comes, I can act it out. So I'm actually remembering my future when I do that. And so you've created a habit that you're going to be living in the future, in the present moment. Yeah. So that's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I remember my future. So it could be something as simple as seeing myself in a really fit, healthy body or speaking to people or having a good podcast. Or right now, the one that comes to mind when I first wake up is I want to turn CrossFit North Phoenix into a much larger center, like a transformation center where we do the physical stuff, but also the mental spiritual stuff Mm, um, because that's really where it's at in terms of development. So I, I wake up and I see myself in a healthy fit body standing in front of a beautiful building with hard water one written across the top of it. And I see that building because that's the next thing that I need to purchase in that to make that a reality is, is my own building. Right. And so that's me remembering that place. So when I get a lead at two o'clock in the morning or a coach misses a class or, you know, no one shows up for 630 or whatever the thing is that makes you want to quit. I remember the future and I remember that it doesn't really matter what's happening now. All of those things are part of the journey. And in order to make the future a reality, I travel to that place, I grab that feeling, and I bring it to the present, and I keep moving. That's beautiful. So that 
Is that a part of your meditative practice? I remember you asking me mm -hmm. um, uh, what the particulars were about um, a step-by-step -step kind of of my own meditation practice. What, what does yours look like exactly? It's not really part of my meditation practice. It's just how I start my day. So at the beginning and the end of your day, your mind is most susceptible to suggestion. So how do you think that is? Well, you're coming out of um, a low brainwave state, right? So it's just like, you know, a child between the ages of zero and six or seven stays in a hypnotic state. It's called hypnagogia for the, for the vast majority of that time period. They, they become who they are based on their environment and, and who they're spending time with and what they're told to do or not to do. They're, they're creating their value systems and, and all of that. We have the opportunity to almost rewrite that or at least add to it you know, before bed or before sleep and just after sleep. So we're coming into and out of those low brainwave states. That's when you get the opportunity to write on your subconscious. Um, Edison was actually famous for doing this. He would take a nap in a chair holding a steel ball. And then as he would sort of drift off to dream, he would drop the steel ball and it would make a noise and it would wake him up. And in those moments between sleep and wakefulness, that's when you get that spark of idea. That's when that, that, that sort of, you know, idea that you can touch something greater than yourself, that, that lightning bolt, that, that idea that, you know, that uh, belief that you want to change, it's right there in that little spot called hypnagogia, right between the two. Sounds like he was really onto something there because, you mm -hmm. know, everybody knows of the contributions that he has made. Yep. Um, so you do that then right when you wake up uh, for how long? Uh, just for a quick second, you know, no more than a minute or so. And Visualization. Then, yeah, it's just, I'm just going to that place. I'm seeing it just long enough to feel it. The mm. point is not to see it, but to feel it. I agree. That's right. So, right. I'm, you know, I mean, and if you've never done any visualization work, the point initially is going to be to see it. Mm. But then after you see it, it's like, can I feel it? Can I put myself in that place? And, you know, the reason that I'm separating this out from meditation is because this is more of an active mental state. Whereas when I meditate, I'm doing my best to not be in an active mental state. If I'm doing an active mental drill um, in, in the course of meditation, what I'm doing is I'm asking myself the same question over and over and over again. You know, hmm. like, you know, what do I need to do to create $50,000? What do I need to do to create $50,000? What do I need to do to create $50,000? And I'll let myself drift off with that question. Hmm. And then when I come back, my brain will have an answer for me. It's like, you can do this, you can do this, and you can do this. But most of the time when I'm meditating, I'm just doing my best to go inward and calm my mind and just let go of any sort of, you know, bullshit that might have happened over the course of the day. Or um, sometimes I'll do visualizations, but what I really want to get to that place is where my body is completely relaxed. Um, I'm seeing not much of anything and just being in that place with no stimulus at all. So you don't listen to music or headphones or anything like that? I do. I mix it up. So my way of meditation currently is I do drones. So for me, the drone takes me deep. So um, a drone sound is just the same sound over and over again. It's like, mm, okay. like a humming sound or something like that. That puts me into a really low brainwave state and I can completely relax and it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Now, if I'm listening to music, I cannot meditate because the music in and of itself is interesting to me. 
and it will keep me awake. Mm. Um, highly, I'm highly attuned to music and very easily stimulated by it. I play guitar, I sing a little bit. And so if I'm listening to music, sometimes I find myself critiquing it. Sometimes I find myself being surprised by it and it doesn't, it doesn't allow me to relax. So the drones, do you do that humming yourself or is that something you are listening to? I'm just using a, an audio. Usually there's a few on YouTube that are decent. They're really hard to find, like a good one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I use audio and I just play it through my phone. I put And what I like to do is right here, I'll lay out on the floor, kind of spread eagle. Mm-hmm. And I make sure that I have no stimulus whatsoever. And then I just put the phone in the center of my chest with the music playing so that it's hitting both ears, you know, f- from the same distance. It doesn't, it's not coming from the side or from behind. And then I just allow myself to let go of everything in the moment and just go deep inside myself. Do you have a specific time limit that you adhere to every no. time? Or? No, what's, never. What's your goal each day? Is it different or pretty much the same? My goal is not a time. My goal is to go inward. So if it takes 10 minutes, great. If it takes an hour, I'm okay with that too. Mm. I don't care about the time really at the end of the day. It's not about that. It's not about checking a box. It's about doing the work. So, you know, if I'm doing the work and it took me 10 minutes, I feel good about that. You know, I like that. Um, what made you begin meditating and, uh, how was it at first for you? How long ago was that? I had a, I've had several bouts with meditation throughout the course of my life. I remember I lived in a condo in North Phoenix um, and I started reading. I had done this, I had done the PSI seminar work. I started reading um, like Mark Victor Hansen and, um, oh geez, who did the chicken soup books? Jack Canfield. I started reading their stuff, you know, and I started reading some, uh, Toltec wisdom, you know, like four agreements and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got the idea to just ask the question, you know, as I meditated. And a few times when I would, when I would, I would just lay across my bed, no stimulus. And I would just ask myself the same question over and over and over again. I got in these really deep states where I would just vibrate. Like I would just feel my body vibrating. Yeah. And some of times it was so intense, it was scary. And I sort of got hooked on that, that feeling that, uh, you know, that something else was controlling my body. Yeah. Um, and I got hooked on that feeling that I was separate from my body. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, yeah. but, but when it happens, it's kind of trippy and cool. It is. But at the same time, it's a very relaxing, you know, inward experience, you know, and if it's true that all of our answers are inside, then I'm going to the right place to ask questions. So that's why I did it that way. And that was sort of my first exposure to meditation. Like just, all right, if all my answers are inside, then I lay lay down with no stimulus. I ask myself the same question over and over again. I drift off, right? Then I get quiet enough, the answer comes. I get quiet enough, the answer comes. Hmm. That was my my purpose. It was never for me to sit on top of a mountain and like be still and think nothing. I don't find that useful. I don't find that particularly useful. So... That was a that was my uh, origin story of the meditation piece, and then from there, I went into a program called Wake Up Warrior with uh, Garrett White, and that's one intense dude. I, I watched his stuff yeah. after I heard about him from you. I was he's impressed. a maniac. Yeah, he's total. He's a total maniac, but a cool cat. And he, as part of his morning ritual, 
And as part of your morning ritual, being part of warrior, you are expected to meditate every day. Mm-hmm. So I, cool. I went into that practice in 2016 and just sort of continued what I had been doing, laying across my bed, asking myself the same question. And what do you do with the answers when they come? Well, that's the thing, right? Like uh, sometimes the answers come and sometimes they don't. And when they come, it's generally a good idea to act on them immediately what do you do you write them down write the answers down so that it's fresh and you have a cemented way to keep looking at it and refocusing on it or or what's your best practice for that it depends on the answer right so if the question is how do i make fifty thousand dollars you know the answer might be well you need to purchase another piece of real estate okay well then the question becomes new. It's like, okay, well, what do I need to do to purchase another piece of real estate, right? Mm. Maybe I'm sitting on not enough money to go purchase a piece of real estate, right? And then and then flip it or rent it out or whatever the thing is that I want to do. So the question becomes, how do I generate enough money to make that a reality? So then you go back to the meditation and you ask a new question and you keep asking the question until you find one you can act on. Now, have you found that sometimes the answer comes later in the day when you're not meditating at all through mm-hmm. different kinds of sources, other people, content? 100%, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge believer in consuming, you know, as much content as you can that is purposeful, right? So mm. some people will just consume, 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 consume. And there's, there's, I don't want to say there's nothing wrong with that because I, you know, it kind of comes across like a judgment by saying there is something wrong with that, but there is something wrong with that. If you have an intention, like if your intention is to, I don't know, build a new relationship. Well, if you're consuming content about growing your business, then that's probably not helping you, you know, and, and the vice versa is true. You know, like if, if you're, if you're looking to up your income and you're consuming books about relationships, well, it might help you talk to people, but it's probably not going to get you what you want. So what is the purpose? And so as long as the content is purposeful toward what I want to create, I feel good about it and I'll consume as much as I can, as, as I can, and then do my best to act on it. Have you noticed that uh, when you're focused on something, say you're interested in maybe buying a BMW mm-hmm. um, and then next thing you know, throughout the next day or two, all you're seeing are BMWs. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely the, um, the RAS, the reticular activating system that comes into play when you put something front of mind. And you know, that's something that I've had happen a lot, you know, like, uh, right now I'm, I'm kind of eyeballing the BMW i eight, like this, um, it's BMW's electric car, but it looks like a supercar, mm-hmm. but it's not. And it has no <laughs> gasoline engine. Cool. It's a really cool car. Like it, it plays engine sounds through the speakers when you accelerate, you know, to make you feel like you're in a, a gasoline driven car. So like when I first started thinking about the BMW i8, I started seeing them, you know, and I'm like, I'd, n- I'd never seen one in Phoenix before. And now I've seen three or four, mm. you know, it's kind of interesting. It is. So especially in that state, the meditative state, um, you said lower brain waves. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're focusing on something in particular, then subconsciously and through the reticular activating system, then throughout the entire rest of your day, subconsciously your focus is going to be on that thing anyway. Mm-hmm. You agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think, I think there's definitely something to that. I mean, I think the way the, the way the RAS works in my mind is that 
when you ask the right questions, it starts showing you what's possible. Like it doesn't do the work for you, right? So neither does your brain. Like your brain might give you possibilities, but it's up to you to exercise those possibilities in the physical world. So, you know, for me, it's about combining the two. And if the RAS is showing me a possibility, okay, well, there's a possible relationship with that woman over there. There's a possible business with this partner over there. There's a possible new car over here. You know, it's all possible. The question is now, how do I make it, you know, how do I act on it? What do I do? What steps do I take? And that's where I think a lot of people and myself included struggle because sometimes the answer that you get isn't the one you want to hear and you have to overcome that resistance to make yourself move toward the thing that you want to create. And that can be hard sometimes, especially when our ego gets in the way. Oh yeah, for sure. What is it? I mean, what do you think about the ego? Because it seems like throughout our lives, it's almost a constant battle or or struggle against uh, putting that down in order to consciously be more aware and more alive and more of who we are rather than letting that, uh, I don't know if you want to call it old programming uh, try to take effect and rule our lives for us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think ego can get a bad rap. I think also ego deserves a bad rap. I think there's a dichotomy. Um, and you want to be somewhere in the middle. Like you wouldn't want to follow a leader who had no ego. I mean, at the end of the day, someone who has zero ego really has nothing to offer you nothing. (laughs) And, uh, it's interesting to see, like I I peer into these worlds of, you know, like one of my buddies is in the plant medicine world and, you know, he took me down an ayahuasca experience. That was cool. And then I've got people in the personal development world who would never touch ayahuasca, but they'll read and read and read and read and really not exercise anything that they've learned outside of a personal development classroom. So, (laughs) The, for me, like I sit in judgment, I'm just going to go ahead and call myself a judge here. I'm sitting in judgment. I'm saying, okay, well, you guys over here in the in sitting around just meditating aren't actually contributing to anything. And you guys over here, you know, contributing to people in a classroom, but then you never experience life outside the class. You, like, you never use the tools in the real world. You're also not really contributing outside of that space. So what is the answer? Well, I'm sitting here in ego and judgment, like thinking, okay, well, you should do this and you should do that. When reality is they should do whatever they feel like they, they can do. Mm. What I think they should do is irrelevant. But when it comes to ego, am I going to go to either one of those places and follow someone who has no confidence or no, you know, wherewithal, no spine, no belief in what it is they're doing? Probably not. You know, and I've been in both places and I've been everywhere in between. And the reality is I enjoy having people with a little ego hmm. because it lets you know where they stand and who they are. It's almost ego is ego is, is almost like a little bit of backbone. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you cannot be flexible or, or that you're inflexible. It just means that you have a point of view. And I think keeping your ego in check is very important. It's like, OK, well, I have a certain point of view about you know, meditating all day and not doing anything or sitting in a classroom and not exercising those tools in the real world. I have a certain point of view about that, but I'm also open to someone saying, well, you know what? That point of view is complete shit because here's what's actually happening. Jason, you don't understand what's happening here. Right. And then they explain it to me. I take that in. I put my ego in check, my judgment in check. 
And I, I, I take that on and I say, oh yeah, I do see the value in the meditation piece. And I do see the value in teaching the classes, but not necessarily going into the real world, right? I was wrong, but I wouldn't, I would never presume to um, think that someone with no ego was, with completely no ego was a good thing. Just like I would never presume to think that someone who was all ego is a good thing. I think you have to have that dichotomy. You have to flow back and forth with it. You got to have a certain sense of self and belief and self. You have a, have a certain sense of, of confidence in the things that you're putting forth or else what is the point? Like you, no one's going to, no one's going to listen to you. You're going to be complete. You're going to be a shark with no teeth basically. Yeah. You know. So extremes can be dangerous. They can also be a, a teaching tool. But mm-hmm. the ultimate goal is then balance, being able to do uh, that which you learn about and, and create your reality with everything that you're learning while keeping your ego in check. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Ryan Holiday has the famous book, you know, Ego is the Enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, ego can be the enemy for sure, but it can also be... A tremendous ally. It just depends on your interpretation of how you're seeing yourself in the moment, you know, and if, if you're keeping your ego in check, that is the biggest advantage. I think, I don't think anyone will ever be ego less. Mm-hmm. I think people who claim that are full of shit, honestly. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't see a way around having a viewpoint, like a strongly held view. Like even let's say you're, you know, Johnny meditation guy and you're on top of a mountain and you're, hovering over the mountaintop because you're so light and vibrating with meditative energy and you're one with the world. Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. What good does that do the people at the bottom of the mountain? Maybe it's a yet situation. Like yeah. Maybe he's being prepared or, or consciously preparing himself through that uh, practice to then go out into the world and, and do far more good than he would have had he not. Could be. Maybe. Could be, yeah. I like the word yet. That could be it, yeah, for sure. I, I, I was asking if you'd heard of Christian Moore um, before we started recording. Uh, he's a resilience trainer. And yesterday uh, I went to a presentation of his, and up on the board he flashed a picture of a battery with a positive and a negative. And he had a picture of a cable hooked up to just the positive. And he said, okay, now can we charge this battery? And everybody in the crowd said, well, no. And, and he said, okay, now here's a picture of a cable just attached to the negative side of the battery. Can we charge it now? And everyone's, well, no. And he said, you're right. We need to have a positive and a negative um, cable attached to this battery, one on each end, to be able to charge it. And it's also the same when we use a battery. We've got to have both the positive and the negative to uh, use it most effectively and get the most out of the battery. And he was equating um, emotions to energy. Mm-hmm. And he said over on the positive side, we've got joy, happiness, peace, empathy, love. And on the negative side, we have things like fear. Um, and, and the list went on and on on either side. But his point was uh, we can flip a switch and use both the positive and negative emotions to build resilience within us and to create a better life. So anger is a good thing, in, in his opinion. And what he taught was you can have twice the emotions. It's like adding all of them together and using them all for good purposes. And uh, he came up with many examples. Mm-hmm. 
But it got me thinking, you know, if you've got one uh, catalyst you throw into a mix of a, a bunch of other things, it could actually be a multiplier exponentially and expand that energy to that of, you know, an A-bomb or, or far greater. Yeah, that, I think there's a lot of validity in that for sure. I, it, and here's the interesting thing about your analogy when he's talking about the positive end of the battery and the negative end of the battery and how the charge, he's talking about charge is positive mm. and negative, right? And he's equating that to emotions and then saying, well, maybe your emotions are neither positive nor negative. Well, energy is neither positive nor negative. These are just mm. words we use to describe charge. Like when, if you talk to a physicist, they'll tell you straight up, you know, what makes positive, positive and negative, negative. We don't know. We just assign these words so that we had something to call it. Hmm. So when we were equating negative charge, you know, in the form of a battery with negative emotion, it's, it's not even the same thing. So for him to go ahead and go through that and say, you know, well, you know, this can be, a, you know, anger can be positive. He's absolutely right. It totally can be anything you assign it to be. Because all meaning is assigned by human beings. Yeah. Right? We give everything labels. That's it. That's exactly it. But yeah, when you look at the physical world, and it's so funny when you see speakers, I mean, we, we, you know, we want to speak in colloquialisms because it makes it easy to, it makes it palatable for the average person, right? But there's no such thing as positive and negative energy. It just, it's energy and we've labeled it so that we could identify it. That's it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it's all useful. It's all useful. Absolutely. hundred percent. Right. Well, um, and just in listening to some of your uh, other podcasts, your interviews, uh, I've noticed that you're a super deep dude. You've obviously done a lot of inner work to reach those depths. Um, and after hearing how you felt after coming through college and, and seeing your brother interact with customers and, and actually being able to hold a mirror up to yourself and find yourself lacking in that which you wanted for yourself, that was an awareness check, I, I'm guessing, that was very valuable. But uh, when was it that you began to see the need for that inner work? And what have the most helpful tools been for you? I, I remember you mentioned PSI seminars in 08. Is that one of them? Yeah, PSI was my gateway. They were my gateway drugs, so to speak. <laughs> they uh, exposed me to all these concepts. And without doing the PSI basic, also without ending a, a bad relationship at the same time I was going through the PSI basic, I would never have done any of the work. So I'm just one of those lucky people who happen to have negative, quote unquote, negative circumstances and uh, an exposure to the first seminar by dumb luck and stupidity. Honestly, I mean, it, it was not due to my brilliance or anything that came through me. The way that I got exposed to the work was I had a friend, uh, Scott Pierce, whose mother was doing the sci work and they live here in the Valley and his mother was playing a game called PLD, which is basically a 90 day goal setting game. And as part of the game, they bring people to presentations and offer an opportunity for you to go to the basic seminar, which is their first seminar. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went to a presentation just out of love for Scott and his family to support them. And I walked into this room and I was judging everybody and, you know, and I was, you know, they were asking, you know, like walk in and they had like a sign up sheet and there's somebody working the, the desk and 
I just remember being a total asshole. I was like, they were asking me my name and my email. And I was like, my name is Bill. And, you know, I was just giving them all this false information. And of course they knew that wasn't my name because I knew some of these people. And so we were having a good laugh about it, but I just wasn't taking it seriously. Right. I thought these people were idiots. I thought they were, you know, just woo woo out there, whack job, you know, people. And here I am in, in all of my egoic knowledge Mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, I know best, right? And so we, we went through the presentation and then they, you know, um, presented the opportunity to sign up and it was 600 bucks. And I was like, 600 bucks to go sit in a room full of broken people? You got to be kidding me. You know, this is crazy. I was just all kinds of judgment. That judgment, is a judgment. lot of money for that. If, if Yeah, just, I would say the same. Just judgment, man. <laughs> just judgment, judgment, judgment. That's That's all I had at that moment. And so after we left... Um, my girlfriend and I at the time, we went back home and just basically forgot about it. And so I had missed that first opportunity to enter, you know, the seminar world and the development world. Mm -hmm. And so a couple days later, I got a call from someone. I don't know if it was Scott's mother or someone who was helping her, but I got a call from them and they were like, we have two for ones for the basic, you know, would you be interested? And so my interest was peaked at the at the, at the uh, little uh, presentation. What and piqued your interest at the presentation? Just some of the terminology, the, the ideas of, of growth and expansion, um, the ideas of what's possible if you can get out of your own way kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, I knew that I, I, you know, I would put on a show like I knew what was going on and I had things together, but inside I knew I didn't have my shit together. Like, yeah. I knew it, right? What year was this? This was 08. Okay. So yeah, so 12 years ago. And so we had offered this two for one offer. And even then with my money programs running about, oh, this is so much money and la, 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 la. I'm like, I couldn't, it's two for one. Like I have to be able to, you know, I gotta, gotta do this. Like, come on, it's two for one, four days. Come on. That's, that's nothing. So I was able to convince myself to spend the money. And then I ended up going with my girlfriend at the time Mm -hmm. and it was a fantastic experience. And they opened my eyes to everything that was possible uh, through a series of exercises and presentations. And, you know, I got to do the work with a lot of people and I came away with a, uh, a feeling lighter, feeling uh, more capable, feeling like I had the ability to control my destiny, mm. which is a huge thing. And, uh, you know, Kara and I, we split up at that point. That was the end of our relationship because our relationship was going nowhere. And so going in, going into that and then uh, knowing that we were splitting up and, and then seeing her sign up for the next seminar, I was like, well, I'm not going to be left behind. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm signing up for the next seminar. So there's this competitive sort of ego, egomaniac that didn't want to be left behind. Your blessing in disguise. My blessing in disguise. Yeah. I mean, it helped me get to the next level. Which is, again, why I'm saying like ego can be a good or a bad thing, depending on how you view it and the circumstances. Yeah, there's proof. And so that took me into probably one of the best weeks of my life. And I, I, I still consider that seven-day seminar in Northern California, you know, one of, the, one of the best weeks of my life. It's actually where I met my wife. So No kidding. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, very cool. What, uh, what brought her to that seminar? Uh, same sort of thing, really. I mean, I think she was seeking, she was wanting more, you know, she, um, believed in the work she had done the basic in Calgary and up in Canada. And 
you know, they do all of the advanced seminars in uh, Northern California. So you have to go to the same place. Hmm. And so she ended up there and we ended up meeting and chatting and the rest was sort of history as, as they say. That's awesome. Now, uh, I remember uh, Jim Rohn wrote a book called the seven strategies for wealth and happiness. And in that he outlines a financial plan, um, very basic and a realistic plan for anybody that anybody can uh, achieve very quickly, especially mm-hmm. here in America, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said was always save 10% of your, uh, income for personal development. And I thought that was just brilliant. And so that's something that is in our financial future. And I'll definitely be looking for programs just like PSI to go to with my wife. Um, I guess I would rather not grow apart or, you know, I'd rather have an opportunity to grow together through doing that kind of work. And Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's, listen, you know, we, we met through Impact Theory. You know, I love Impact Theory. I love what Tom Bilyeu's created. Me too. And uh, he's a fantastic dude. But here's the reality. Listening to him speak is not going to change your life. It's not. No. You have to take what he says and do something with it. Absolutely. Right? Listening to Ed Milet <laughs> or Jim Rohn or, you know, Earl Nightingale or any of the greats, mm-hmm. you know, um, Les Brown. Pick one. Listening to them is not going to change your life. What you do with the information will. So you you have to go into an environment whereby you have the ability to apply the fucking tools, period. Yep. That's it. And so and create it, that environment if you can't find it, right? I mean, you got to find a way. Build it. You'll yeah. find a way to do whatever you want to do, right? That's absolutely true. And then you'll find an excuse to do anything you really don't want to do. So that is also true. <laughs> right. And so if you, you know, if you have an opportunity to do a seminar like a Psy or a Landmark, which I, I've had friends go through Landmark, but I haven't done, I've, he- I've heard fantastic things about. In that room, in that environment, you are forced to use the tools. You have to put them in practice. Mm-hmm. You can't watch a show or attend a seminar and then walk away and say, man, I feel really good. Let me go home and do nothing and watch TV. Yeah. No, you don't get to do that. You're here. You're part of the group. You're part of the exercise. You have to participate. And the thing that people forget is if you don't have the ability to create leverage over yourself, you're not going to move. And you're not, you're just not right. So one way of creating leverage over yourself is to put yourself in an environment where you're forced to move. And that's why, you know, I chose to, to continue to do the seminar work. And that's why today, you know, I carry some energy around people who sit in the seminar world and never exit it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of one of my, one of my friends on, uh, on Facebook that I was talking about this, he's like, I went to funnel hacking live and, you know, but I skipped the Tony Robbins part and someone's like, well, why did you skip Tony Robbins? He's like, well, I already did that work. And last time I was there, I ran into people who had been there 48 times. Well, if you're there for 48 times, what the fuck are you doing? You know, get out and, you know, do that work in the real world. But what happens is the environment, just like the plant medicine world, the environment is catchy. It's like, it's captivating. It's captivating. It's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm here with all these people and it's like mind. And we're all on the same mission and that's all great and good, right? But when you exit that, what are you doing with it, mm. right? What are you actually going to bring into the world? So being unable to duplicate that same feeling in the real world, then they need to go back almost like an addiction to feeling a certain way. It's a validation of how you're feeling, right? Mm. I mean, just like anything, anything, it, it, it's beyond that actually. It's, it's just easy. It's like, okay, well, I've been to Tony Robbins. I know what to expect, I saw Tony Robbins, you know, and 
I was in a room with 6,000 people. You know, I went to a Psy seminar. I was in a room with, I don't know, maybe 80 people, 100 people. The Psy was way more impactful because we had more one-on-one time with people mm-hmm. and we built relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And But there are people who swear by seeing Tony Robbins live. And I think it's because of the way that they feel, they choose to feel in that environment. The same reason there are people in the Psy world who've never left the Psy world because they enjoy the feeling of being in it, right? It's a challenge. The same reason there's people in the plant medicine world who only stay in the plant medicine world, the way that they feel when they get there, right? Mm. But why the purpose of, of, of entering the plant medicine world or the meditation world or the Psy world is to not stay there, but to earn and learn the tools and then bring them to bear in the real world so that you can impact other people's lives. Right? Absolutely. That's it. The end. You know, and it's interesting, but with the, by doing what we do, it kind of proves to the world who we are, what we're made of. And, and uh, just, just through doing, you know, that's, that's like the quickest and, and best way to learn because even if you fail, you, you learn what not to do the next try. Right. So uh, have you and your wife um, gone to some of these seminars since then together? Or what are some things that you guys like to do um, that you have common interest um, that you kind of uh, come closer together and and bond and connect over? Yeah, so every year we generally do some, some seminar work together. Or if it's a book series or a seminar series or whatever, we we do our best to do one per year. We did Tony Robbins a few years ago together, for example. Um, you know, we'd never, we'd never uh, done that. We wanted to, to get involved with that. Was it a relationship, business? What, what kind of seminar was it? It was just his, his I forget what they call it, but his first seminar. Um, what do they call it? Waken, I forget what they call Awaken it. Waken the Giant Within. Is that it? I don't know. Something. Oh, that's a book anyway. Whatever the first one is, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, whatever his first uh, seminar is. Like we, two, three days together. That. Yeah, we've done that. We did one like last year with uh, Gary V and a bunch of people from Shark Tank. Hmm. Um, you know, so I mean, we do our best wow, to cool. do these things together so that we can experience them together and have a common vernacular. Yeah, and also challenge uh, you know one another to step into our our best selves. So I mean, we're people like anyone else, and we fail all the time. And so what? But what? What I want to create, and what I would, what I am creating, I should say, is. A situation whereby today, for example, wifey and I will have a meeting. We have a weekly meeting on Sundays. We talk about what we want to create for the week. And we talk about, you know, where we're at, what the obstacles are, you know, what's what we did well last week versus what we failed miserably on last week. Like for la- for like last night I ate or yesterday altogether I ate really poorly. So it's totally off my diet plan for yesterday and the day before actually. So when I come into this meeting, I have her to hold me accountable and say, well, you know, you were supposed to eat this way and you didn't. So what are you going to do differently this time? She's holding my feet to the fire, just like I'm holding her feet to the fire on the things that she wants to create. How long have you been doing this weekly check-in together? Well, we started it a few years ago and we were very inconsistent with it. This year we've been, or coming into the end of this past year and this year, we've been much more consistent with it. What helped? Because I've been wanting to do that weekly with my wife and I'm failing miserably at it's it. It's not easy. It's not easy because here's the thing. Like you're in a romantic relationship, you're friends, you know, you share a bed, you share a house. And so the it's very difficult to have that person sit across from you and say, listen, you're failing here. Or, you know, I like what you did here. However, this could be done better. 
So I don't necessarily recommend it to people. I think it takes a certain type of person to be able to handle that. Mm. I know for me personally, I'm a very direct person. I, I, you know, I will just say how I feel and, you know, I've learned to temper that and, and, and I can do it in a positive way. And I do my best to, you know, like Bill, you says, you know, I'm take responsibility for how your communication lands. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a certain amount of truth in that when you are enrolling people, but there's also a certain amount of bullshit in that when you need to get to the point. Right. Yeah. And so it can turn into this game of, okay, I have feedback for you. And then you give the feedback and the person says, well, I don't like the way you gave it to me. I don't like how you said that to me. Mm-hmm. So you play this game where it's like, okay, well, you said you wanted feedback. I'm giving you feedback, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me that I gave it to you in, in the wrong way. So you, it can turn into this game of tone policing. And anytime you're dealing with the tone police, they don't ever have to hear what you say. So I could say to you, listen, man, you said you wanted to, you know, you said you wanted to gain 10 pounds of muscle and you're at two pounds. So, you know, what are you eating? How many times did you hit the gym this week? So you, you hold the mirror up. I'm holding the mirror if up. If I don't like it, I can come and, back at you yeah. and say, well, I don't like the way that you talk to me. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and you can always tone police, right? Tone policing is dangerous because you can, you can always use it as an excuse not to hear someone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what's being said. It can always be, you can always use that. So you have to be really careful. And so in those conversations where we're having, you know, where, when they get difficult, we have to say, okay, remember, we're not here to tone police. We're here to hear the words. There's no intent behind the words. There's no, you know, there's no negative energy, no positive energy. They're just words. Mm-hmm. So if we separate the story from the facts, what's left Yes, it's, it's, this is, this is great because this happens so many times across the world all day, every day. Someone else, what's wrong? Well, so-and-so said I was a dick. Okay. Well, were you being a dick? Well, yeah. Okay. Well then what's the problem? Own it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so-and-so said I was a dick. Well, were you being a dick? No. Well then what difference does it make? So it's like, hmm. which story are you going to attach to what someone said to you? And what meaning? Right. You at all times have the ability to change the story, to make meaning. Humans are meaning-making machines. That is their fucking job. Yes, we are. Right? So at the end of the day, if you go into this place of feedback where one partner is, or both partners are saying, well, I don't like how you said that to me, it's never going to work. So you got to have that. Yeah, I have some ground rules going into that. It's like, listen, we're here. I just want to give you the facts. Okay, here's how I saw you show up. And if you stick to the facts and someone has something to say about the facts, Okay, they're just being obtuse. But if you give people facts intermixed with your opinion and your energetic tone of voice mm-hmm. and your shaking of the head and your pointing <laughs> of the finger, that's a, that's that's a problem. So it comes down to the situation where here are the ground rules. Here's what I saw. These are the facts. I know you don't want to hear this. I know it hurts to hear this. Jason, you're failing here. Jason, mm-hmm. you need to step it up here. Oh, and it hurts. And I have to, I have to take the hurt on. I have to feel the hurt. I can't say, well, I don't like how you said that to me. No, I'm going to feel the hurt. And then I'm going to exercise my agency and I'm going to say, okay, I'm feeling it. It's real, but here's the reality. It's just the facts, just the facts. And that possibly uh, negatively perceived emotion can then be turned into motivation and used as, as good and, and propel you into a better week. And with better results. For people who are aware and who understand agency, yes. Between the feeling and the action, you have agency. So in that place, if you can feel it, 
right? Like if you can let it just wash over you and just, you know what, this feeling's coming, it's coming, I feel it, it's going to pass. All right, now let me examine the truth of the statement. So you guys sit down across from each other, mm-hmm. um, planners, pens, I'd, I'd imagine. Yep. Planners right there, you can see them. Her and pen is still in hers. You yeah. have a time limit. Um, we should go about an hour. Any rules that you guys follow um, that you've been able to create along the way that are especially helpful? Um, the, really, the only rule is to be honest mm-hmm. and to, again, accept the feedback, right? Let it wash over you. Don't get emotional, you know, or, you know, to the best of your ability. There's going to be some times when you get emotional. There's some things that you fail on that are hard, you know, and, and that's just reality. <laughs> But it's again, it's it's separating fact from story. Okay, what was said? Don't care who said it. Mm-hmm. Don't care how it was said. But what was said? Is it true? And it's coming from a place of love. I mean, this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. So it's not even really criticism. It's actual helpful, positive feedback. Yeah, but you know, and and in our culture though, we're just conditioned to believe that any form of criticism is negative. Right. And the reality of it is, is going back to your example of the battery mm. and the energy. Energy is just energy. You can label it whatever you want to label it. What you do with it is a totally different story. So criticism is just criticism. It doesn't have to be negative. And in fact, it can be very positive. I like that. Um, you expressed uh, the opinion that you feel people are drawn towards challenges, difficulties, adversity. Um, can you elaborate on that? I, I know that you brought that up yeah, during ours. For sure. I mean, I think, listen, if you think back on your life, like when, when was a time you were most content or happy? Can you think of a time when you were most content or happy? Yeah, lots of them. Uh, Usually uh, when the bills are paid, my tummy's full and I'm kicking back and relaxing and enjoying the fruits of my labor. Okay. You just said it right there. Okay. So enjoying the fruits of your labor makes you happy and content. Okay. So that is why people do hard things. And that's why people should do hard things. Because at the end of the day, it gives you a resume. It gives you a life resume that you can look at it and you can say, listen, I accomplished this thing. Even if it's something as simple as putting food on the table, right? Some people are challenged greatly in doing that, Yeah. right? And it's not necessarily easy when you've got kids and the spouse and two jobs or you, maybe you're a single parent, whatever the thing is, putting food on the table is a big deal. It is. And it can be hard. So, okay, at the end of the day, how do you feel when you feed your kids? I feel fucking good. How do you feel when you take your wife out on a date? I feel fucking good, right? It's not always easy. Maybe her schedule is opposite yours. Maybe you're tired. Maybe she's tired, right? So you do the hard thing and you actually come to a place where you feel good about what you've accomplished. And this is why in the feminized world that we live in, you see people doing hard things like ultra races and Spartan races and mud runs and jumping out of planes and bungee jumping and taking themselves on in one way, shape or form, because every let's face it, everyday life is fucking easy. It really is. If you're in North America, your life is not that hard relative to the rest of the world. Now you might have your challenges and I'm not discounting those, right? You have your challenges, but you also have a ton of safety nets here. No one's going to allow you to fall through the cracks If you've been a good person, you're always going to have someone there backstopping you. If the government's not backstopping you, somebody's backstopping you, 
right? It's not like you're going to die tomorrow. Yeah, we're very blessed here. For we're sure. very blessed. We live we live in the best time in history. If you're in North America, you're living better than 99% of the world. You should just be happy. Even the poor people here are, are richer than poor than, than wealthy people in other parts of the world. So when you walk through the ghetto and you see people carrying $1,000 iPhones, I mean, come on, you know, either the priority's wrong or you're not living that bad. Yeah. Let's just, let's just face it. None of us are really living that bad no. unless we choose to. No. And so we've had a whole generation that was raised on this sort of idea that they can't do anything wrong, that everybody gets a trophy, that, you know, there's really no difference between you and, and Jim over there or Derek over here or Jenny over there. Everybody's the same. No, you're not the same. You have different dreams, goals, desires. There are things that you want to do. And if you're the same as someone else, then you're basically being held back. You're being put in a box, right? And, and that's not how humanity works. Humanity needs to express itself in some way, shape, or form. So one of the ways that people break out of that is they go do hard things. They learn about themselves. And in those places, whether it's an athletic endeavor, a team sport, weightlifting, you know, maybe it's just uh, maybe you're challenging yourself to eat, uh, you know, eat good food for, you know, for the rest of your life. I mean, that, these are all hard things, and they have a secondary benefit. So it's about really getting to that place where you get past that primary sort of initial benefit. Like, you know what? Cake tastes good. I'll be honest with you. You know, chocolate cake. tastes great. I love it. <laughs> Donuts. You know, I love ice cream. But what is the, that's the primary benefit. What's the secondary benefit of that? Or the secondary consequence of that, I should say. Well, if I eat too much of it, I'm probably going to get a little spare tire going on. Yeah, right. Type two diabetes. Or, yeah, right. Alzheimer's. Right, yeah. right. So, and it's. It, I think this is Ray Dalio who talks about this: first order consequences and second order consequences. If you live for second order consequences, you will be fine. Mm. If you live for first order consequences, you're fucked. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, deferred gratification versus exactly. you know I want it now and I can get it now, so I do. Yeah, I mean it's exactly that, right? Like the first order consequence of running a Spartan race is. You get dirty, you get tired, you get wounded, it's hot, it's cold, whatever the conditions are, it's not comfortable. But the second order consequence is you get a medal, you get to walk away with an achievement, you make some new friends, you learn something about yourself. Pride in yourself is worth That's all right. of that too. That's right. Your confidence goes through the roof. So, I mean, what, which consequence do you want? Mm. The first order or the second order? That's really what it comes down to. I like that. I never really caught that from Ray Dalio. I, I'm a big fan of his. I, I love how transparent he is within his own company, how they record all of the conversations, and then anybody within the company can then go in and listen to them, and they all call each other on their bullshit mm-hmm. all day long. And so it's very open, very honest, very direct, and very effective, obviously. I mean, look at his accomplishments. hundred percent. I mean, that's exactly what you want to create in all of your relationships where possible, you know? So when you're asking about Christina and I meeting, that's why we do it that way. You know, that radical honesty piece, because at the end of the day, once you get past that first order consequence of, oh man, it hurts in the moment, Mm -hmm. you get that second order consequence of, you know what, now I'm able to be vulnerable with this person. You know, I have some fears that hurt. I need your support here. Maybe I can support you there. And now your relationship starts to really gel and solidify. So through time over the past few years of these weekly uh, check-in sessions with one another, then uh, some of the results or the the consequences of uh, doing that consistently, uh, obviously you've built trust 
you've connected on a deeper level. You're more organized, more clear as a couple where you're headed and what you're doing. So I, I don't see any downside to a weekly check-in. Uh, do you? No, again, just comes down to being the right people for that, yeah. that type of language, you know, setting the stage properly. Yeah, I can imagine that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the part. Challenging first, yeah, just that, like everything good is, you know? Yeah, that's the part that you really have to work through. And once you work through that, like the breakthroughs are beautiful, man. They're just absolutely beautiful, you know? This, just in the last month, like Christina's had some breakthroughs in some of our, our sit-downs, and it's just been amazing to watch. Is that There are some topics that she'd talk about or that I would talk about where either one of us would be defensive, and yet we're allowing those those words to wash over us and just feel it in the moment and then say, you know what? You're right. What are some things that your wife does or says, or, or that you guys do together that just makes you fall in love with her all over again? Uh, well with Christina, it's, she's very little girlish and that's such a good thing. She has the ability to see like beauty mm-hmm. in simple things, you know, And last night, for example, we were at an event that she organized at the Anthem Country Club. And it was this whiskey dinner where she had these rare whiskeys brought in from all over the world and or not all over the world, all over the U.S. It was it was U.S. um, It was bourbon. So it had to come from the U.S. And then, you know, the chef put out, you know, four or five courses of, of little plates of food. And it was amazing. So seeing her like just interact with people. Mm hmm. And seeing how much she loves making other people happy is just one of those things that just blows my mind. You know, she's just such a gracious, loving, happy individual. And then when she's in a room and she's doing her thing, she's all about the food and the wine. Like when she's doing her thing, she just radiates that energy into the room. She's, she's just one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. That's awesome. Yeah. Sounds like you guys have a really great relationship, man. We fight just like everybody else, man. We we have our ups and downs. You know, it's not all sunshines, balloons, and roses. But at the end of the day, you know, we we came together for a reason, and and because of that, I think that's what helps us get through some of the tough times. I think that's beautiful too. That uh, couples are able to be direct and open and honest enough with one another to actually get into passionate, heated discussions at times mm-hmm. and to be honest, you know where you stand with her because yeah. she's going to tell you. She's going to call you on your shit. You can call her on hers. And that, I think, solidifies any relationship. Just knowing where you stand with someone at all times, that's magical. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not the easiest person to live with. Like, I like a clean, neat house. I'm very meticulous. You know, I can be very critical. So I, these are all things that I have to work with her on, right? Like I have, we have to negotiate all these things. So we both have to do the work. And, you know, I, it was funny. I heard, uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson say this one time, the rock said this about his, I think it was his first wife and, you know, they were at some event or whatever. And he goes, it takes a strong ass woman to be with me, you know? And then a few years later, of course she's gone and he's got a new one. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, I guess she wasn't strong enough, right? (laughs) But that's how I feel about Christina. It takes a strong woman to be with me because I am all of those things that I said and I fail regularly. I screw up regularly and yet I'm able to come and speak with her, talk to her and we're able to, so far, you know, you never know what's going to happen a year from now or five years from now. No, you don't. But so far we've been able to, you know, always work through any of the issues that we've, that we've brought to the table. Awesome. So... Uh, 
I caught wind that you decided to do a daily mini blog. Uh, you've been posting on Instagram now for over 600 days straight and then also started a project, uh, what you call the quotes project, where you save all of the quotes which are most meaningful to you, uh, which is now over like 60 pages long. Um, was there something that you were trying to prove to yourself? Uh, what, what made you do those things? This idea of keeping track uh, was really solidified by Garrett White when I was in Warrior. And it just comes down to this idea of you have to put in the reps. You know, you, you don't walk into the gym on day one and bench press 225. You know, you just don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you might start with the bar or depending on where you're at, maybe 135 and you start putting in the reps. And then as you put in the reps, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And the same is true for any sort of mental or spiritual work. And I think people forget this. Like, you're not born a great writer. You write every day and you get better. You learn how to consolidate ideas and convey ideas in a way that makes sense to people. And you learn how to impact people with your words and and include emotion where it needs to be and exclude it where it doesn't need to be. And so 600 plus days of writing is my attempt to become a better writer. And that also has the has the fortunate side effect of making me a better thinker. So, you know, you can't, you can't write if you can't think those two things go hand in hand. So it's a, it's a meditation that I do with myself and the words on the page or the words on the screen in this case. And I write, uh, to just continue to hone my craft day in and day out. So what were the immediate benefits that you recognized? And then what were the longer lasting, um, more difficult to recognize benefits that came in time? So anything consistent with anything consistent, I think the lessons are similar, whether it's, you know, like we just did a 31 for 31 burpee challenge. So yeah, you can do 31 burpees, but can you do them every day for 31 days straight while life is happening, while your kids are screaming or your shoulder hurts or you didn't eat or you were up 20 hours or whatever the thing is, right? Can you do it? And you learn about yourself in that moment. So when, when I'm putting these days together, you know, I look back, there's literally like a handful of days that I've missed Mm -hmm. in this time period. And so the question is, who did I have to become to be the person who's going to write, you know, ever how many characters it is for this period of time, for two years almost? Well, I had to become the person who made that a priority and who didn't make excuses and who did it when he was tired and who did it last night at 2 a.m. when he was tired after being out with wifey and, you know, like all these different things. And it just, it just became, it becomes this sort of personal challenge whereby it's sacrilege to break the chain. You know, Jerry Seinfeld talked about this in the documentary. He was like, yeah, I write a joke every day. I write jokes every day. And every day I do, you know, is a day that I didn't break the chain. And as long as you're not breaking the chain, you're getting somewhere. And so the effect is not immediate. And when, when you first, when you asked, you know, what, what were the effects? Well, the effects of me were nothing, zero, no response, nothing. Absolutely nothing, right? And so then it becomes this exercise in, okay, well, either my stuff sucks or I have no reach or I have no influence or, I, you know, I have, I'm lacking in some way, shape, or form. Mm. And then you just realize that that's not why you're doing it. Okay, well, I would love to have all those things, but I'm not getting any of those things. So why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing this to become a better person. I'm doing this to become a better writer, a better thinker, a better philosopher, a better man, you know, a better partner, you know, a better business owner. I mean, I'm doing it to become more. And when you realize 
that that's the reason. It doesn't matter if people respond, interact, or otherwise. It's that's not why I'm doing it. I don't care at this point, right? What I care about is not breaking the chain. I really like that. Um, I think it was Jim Rohn that taught that anytime we're disciplined on a consistent basis in one area of life, it sort of uh, bleeds over into all of the other areas of life. And we just automatically, without even realizing it, sometimes become more disciplined in every area of our lives. Um, And I know for me personally, when I first started writing and posting things, I was known as the king of inconsistency in every way of my life at that time. And so I made it a goal to do that every single day. Um, Just a small little post, something easy, something small. And over time, it it wasn't so small anymore, but it got easier. So it it was weird how it, it became this big deal. Like, hey, I'm consistent. Whereas before, I, I knew myself and everyone else knew, too, that I was not dependable. I wasn't predictable. I, I didn't do what I said I would do. But when I was consistent, just in that one little thing every morning, just that little post, then it bled over into all the other areas of my life. And like you're talking about becoming more of, of a partner, more of a man, more of a father. It's crazy how one little thing that it, it seems like it's not going to do anything for you, really. But if you keep at it. Uh, that consistency creates uh, a conversion of circumstances, a convergence of people and things that come into your life and just unfolds magically and it serves and saves you. It's just one little thing. So as far as morning routines um, and little things and tools and tricks that have really helped you build momentum in your life, what are your favorite ones? So the morning routine is always... Um it's, it's the three categories. So, you know, your, your mental, physical, and spiritual, you want to touch on those every day. And so, you know, when I wake up, the first thing I do is I remember my future and then I brush my teeth and I make my bed. So those, so I've already won when I do those three things, right? That's, that's sort of my pre-flight ritual. And everything else is a bonus after that. Everything else is a bonus. And then I go into like my formal morning ritual, which is meditating, writing, moving, you know, and uh, journaling. I send my wife a message every day uh, by text or in person to let her know I'm thinking about her. And I declare, again, this comes from Garrett's work, so I declare what I've learned in some public forum or with my team or something along that line. So whether it's social media or my team at the gym, I declare, you know, some form of learning to the world. And generally that takes the form of my Instagram post. Okay. Yeah. Those are uh, great ideas. Um, when was it that you were in a conference with Garrett White? Uh, I've never been to a conference with him. We did a training. It was called Warrior Book. And this was in February of 2017, I think. 2017. 17. Yeah, so February of 2017, I did a, a Warrior Book training with his number two, and then I did a six-month training with him. And the, 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 the training just comes down to realizing, like all the stuff that we've, we've talked about and is very simple to, to create the life that you want to create. It comes down to looking at your results and then 
taking the roads and the directions that allow you to improve your results, but you cannot get there if you don't take a step every day. So it's step every day, you know, step every day, step every day. So the morning routine is one form of stepping every day. And if you do that and you take enough steps, when you look back, you've come a long direction, right? But mm-hmm. what, what, yeah. what happens is we think we're supposed to have a quick hit. So in the warrior world, they call it, you know, uh, swinging singles, right? So every day we're swinging singles. We're swinging singles today. We're not trying to hit a grand slam or triple. We're just hitting singles. Hang single, 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 home run. Single, 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 home run, right? Mm-hmm. Just one right after the other. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I think a lot of men especially take on too much. They think they're going to, you know, conquer the world tomorrow. And the reality of it is, is that's not going to happen. You got to build an army. You know, you got to put bricks in your walls. You know, you got to, um, you got to dig some mines, you know, you got to mine the ore, you got to build your weapons. This takes years, right? Years. And because we live in a culture that expects it tomorrow, people fucking quit. Mm -hmm. And so if you can just not quit, you're probably going to win by default. Because here's the reality. That's awesome. That's beautiful. I like that. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I've been doing the, this thing for solidly for going on three years now. And I, I look around and I see people falling by the wayside, you know, and the reality of it is, is when they start back, they're starting over, you know, so the key, that momentum, that's again. it. You, yeah. you, you fucked yourself. Right. And, and, uh, you know, one of my, one of my friends, uh, Brianna, she has, uh, a company she calls SSO. And I'm like, what does SSO stand for? She's stop starting over. Mm. And unfortunately that is the plight of the many to start over, start over, start over again and again and again, rather than stay in the fight long enough to learn how to win it. That's, that's the key, man. That's the juice. That's the magic sauce. So celebrate those small, consistent successes. Not just celebrate, but to learn the lessons that they're teaching you, right? Yeah. Learn the lessons that they're teaching you and apply them you know, in a, an effective manner, you know, hope is not a strategy, you know, pray is not a strategy. The strategy is, this is what I did. This is the result it produced. Is that the result I want? Yes. Keep doing it. No, let's start over back to square one. Good strategies always require action. (laughs) Exactly. And measurement, action and measurement, right? It's like, you know, what is that? uh, uh, Pearson's law. It's like that, which is tracked improves, that which is tracked and reported back improves exponentially. So the purpose of our meeting with Christina is to report back the purpose of my morning routine and tracking my entries and tracking my meditations and tracking my movement is to report back to myself so that I can have that exponential improvement. But when you stop, you lose all form of momentum. As far as tracking goes, um, that's another thing that I need to get better at. What would you suggest? Are there books, uh, content? Um, what what would you do? What, what would you suggest to somebody just starting out tracking? I would suggest that you need to invest in yourself on those those primary uh, areas every day. So mental, physical, and spiritual. What are you doing to feed your mind? What are you doing to feed your body? What are you doing to feed your spirit every single day? Find something in those three arenas that you're going to do um, come hell or high water, you know, you're going to make sure that it, re- that it becomes a reality and you're going to gamify it. So you're going to say, all right, well, if I have to do one aspect of these three things every single day, well, at the end of the week, if I give myself a point for each one, that's worth seven times three is 21. That's worth 21 points. If I get 21 points, I won my week. 
Do you set up a reward system for yourself at all? You or? can, right? Here's the thing. What, what is the reward to you might not be a reward to me. So, and maybe I don't work for rewards. Maybe I work for, you know, avoiding for consequence avoidance, for example. Mm. So, you know, and, and so at the end of the day, you can take whatever your morning routine is so long as it's strategically advancing you toward what you want to create and gamify it. So just like right now in the Hardwater One group, you know, um, and hopefully you'll jump in because I know you'll have a lot of insights on this. We're doing the the meditation challenge. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge is to start the week. Just do six minutes, right? Post your revelation and post a gratitude. That's three points right there. Every day is worth three points for the month of February. So that's an 87-point game. So you win this game by earning 87 points. You know, that's the best score you can get. Mm-hmm. And when you start to gamify things, humans start to respond, that's why challenge culture is so big, because humans like to compete. So the people that started January 1st, they're doing the 31 burpees every day. Mm-hmm. And now through February, they're doing the 31 burpees every day, plus they're doing this other challenge. So it's it, slowly... It's building. Yeah. Yeah, if they are continuing. So the way that I framed it was the burpees are the RX plus option, mm-hmm. right? So the prescription plus. So, um, so most people have... Well, it's only day two, but most people have done the burpees. You know, I'll do 50 burpees a day as part of my morning routine. So I do 50 burpees a day and then um, I'll meditate and then write down my revelations, my gratitudes. These are all things that I that I do. 50 burpees. That's and a lot gonna of going to gamify man. it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> going to gamify it. And then, yeah. And so it, that's one way of, of reporting. So, like, listen, at the end of the week, at the end of this week, if I have um, if I have 15 points, mm-hmm right? Then I know I left two days of work on the table, Mm. right? So as a couple, then you track other things Uh, for your business. You have a a different set of uh, items that you track. Do you gamify those as well and have a scorecard for those as well? Yeah. So, so business is, is really no different, Mm -hmm. but it is a separate game. So like the game that you play with your wife, and I'm using the word game because all of life is a game. Right. Let's just re- like be reality. Yeah. More all fun. of life is a game. You know, a relationship is a game. Um, business is a game. Um, you know, health and fitness is a game that you play and they all have certain set of rules. They all have players. They all have pitfalls and consequences and rewards. Right. So my reward for being a good husband in the context of my relationship isn't some number on the board but I can count it that way. So I can say, okay, well, we're going to do a date night every single week. All right. Well, if I miss a date night, then it's really easy to report back to myself that I missed that. Okay. And I missed time. And not only did I miss time, but I broke my word to myself and to my spouse. Hmm. So now I need to correct that. Right. So when we meet and she says, we didn't do a date night last week. What am I going to say? I'm going to say, you know what? You're absolutely right that is completely unacceptable and we're going to get back on it this week. Right. You just don't want to make the same mistake two times in a row because then it starts to become a habit. Yeah. Right. That's something I need to work on and I'm will. Yeah. And business is easy because business is, it's just counting, right? Did you have more money in the bank yesterday or today? Did you make money or lose money? You know, it's easy. And there's a thousand pieces of software that will automatically import all of your transactions and give you a bottom line number every single day at the point of a button. Instant feedback. Instant feedback. So, I mean, you cannot be, you can't run a business and not know where you're at. 
So that, that one's easy. Yeah. Did I is. sell some shit yesterday or not? You know, what do my numbers look like or not? You know, results and, don't lie. Like results don't lie. Yeah, exactly. Your bank account's not lying to you. Nope. It's exactly the amount of value you provided to the world when you look at your bank account. <laughs> I like that. Now, um, this question uh, is important to me, kind of. If, if someone you loved or cared about came to you and told you that they were suffering from severe depression, anxiety, or even suicidal ideation, uh, what advice would you give to them? You know, like what tools have you learned and implemented in your own life that have kept you from these dark places? I would say that I'm probably not the right person to ask that question of, to be honest, because the reality is I've never experienced it on the level that I think other people have. Based on your experience, I definitely haven't experienced it on the level that, that you explained in, in your podcast. Yeah. So I would probably feel very unqualified. And again, I'm just going to let my ego stay in check and say, I don't know, you know, but here's the thing, man, let's find someone, let's get on the phone, let's get on the the old Facebooks, Mm -hmm. let's find someone who can help you and I'll drive you there. You know, we'll have that conversation today. That's what I would say. That's the best answer I could ask for right there. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, that's honest. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from my experience that, you know, when I feel those, those feelings like of worthlessness or, you know, like what's the point or, you know, this sort of nihilism that comes over me, I think of it as this is what I'm supposed to feel. I don't think of it as I'm different or special because I'm feeling it or I'm depressed. I think of this is part of the fucking game. So like I'm on the roller coaster and the roller coaster is at the bottom of the hill right now. Right. So now I've got to click, 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 click back up to the top. So you see that as normal human experience and just keep going. And I think one of the reasons people get depressed, and again, I could be wrong, so I'm going to defer all of the knowledge to you. You you are the expert in this area. I'm going to say that when I look at the world and I see people rolling around with plastic smiles on their faces, every advertisement has some plastic smile or some you know, some stupid commercial has somebody smiling and it's all fake, phony, ridiculous, you know, sort of manufactured, you know, interaction Mm -hmm. that's based on nothingness and total horseshit. I think people look at that and a lot of times I feel like they see that's what life should be because you have to realize the vast majority of people are TV educated. They're screen educated, right? They, they observe life. They're not living life. So if what you're observing isn't lining up with what you're experiencing, then how could you not think, man, something's wrong with me. I'm depressed. Mm. My life is screwed. Like what's, what's going on? I'm just terrible. I'm, you know, I'm experiencing all these terrible thoughts and feelings. No, that's just life, man. You know, go back a few years, you know, how do you think the hunters felt when they didn't come home with a Buffalo? They probably didn't feel real good about that. Hungry. And they probably felt pretty fucking hungry. Mm. Right. But they probably weren't able to sit on their ass all next day and wallow in their misery. They probably decided, you know what? We got people to feed and I'm starving here. We got to go find something else to eat. And they they got off their ass. Nowadays we're in a comfortable enough situation. We have to really search for those big reasons sometimes to keep going. But back then that wasn't an option. You're right. That's exactly it. But then imagine the elation they would have felt when they did come home with the Buffalo. Mm. Oh man, we screwed up today. We feel terrible. We're hungry. Our families are starving. Our kids are hungry. We're going out again tomorrow, hungry, tired. We get the buffalo. How do we feel? We feel elated. 
that's life, man. Life is up and down. It's yeah. not up and up and up and up. It's up and down. And I think, you know, being TV educated or screen educated, people lose sight of this fact. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful teaching, and it goes back again to uh, the quote unquote negative and positive energy. Mm. Uh, it, those emotions that are up and down aren't good or bad; they just are. And the human experience is that we experience the full gamut if we're lucky, you know. Yes, if we're lucky. Your best definition of success. What's your idea of success? You know, I think for me, uh, success is pretty simple. It's just like, you know, can I wake up in the morning and do what I want to do? You know, am I, am I doing what I want to do today? Then am, am I, I'm on this podcast because I want to be here. I'm that successful. Yeah. I live in a house I want to live in. That's successful. You know, I'm in a relationship that I enjoy. That's successful. You know, I think that's the end of it. You know, I mean, and you can attach any metric you want, whether it's monetary or otherwise. But at the end of the day, for me, like I've seen... Um, you know, like the wealthy side of the family, I had a, I had a very wealthy uncle. He was a, a millionaire many times over. I saw he was miserable, right? And then on the other side of my family, I had abject poverty, and I saw these people miserable. So early in life, I learned that money wasn't wasn't the solution mm-hmm. to, you know, the happiness versus success equation. It just wasn't. But you still wanted it. Well, I wanted it to the extent that it creates freedom in my life. So that's how I frame it, right? So I, I, I seek to earn money because it allows me to do the things that I wouldn't be able to do without it, right? And I own rental properties because, hey, it allows me freedom. Someone else is paying me to live in a property that I own. I take that money. I pay a bunch of bills with it, and what's left over is mine, and that adds to my freedom. And it creates jobs for people who want to work jobs and housing for people who need housing, right? So everybody wins. So at the end of the day, did I wake up today and do the thing that I wanted to do? If I can answer that with an affirmative, then that was a successful day. I love that definition. Um, you asked this of all your guests, what does wellness look like to you? Yeah. So wellness, this is something I've been playing with a lot. And, uh, I'm actually glad you asked this question. Let me see if I can frame it. I'm still working through this definition. However, the, defin- the formal definition that I'm going to define for hardwire looks something like this, and that is total wellness is a state in which your body, your mind, and your spirit are operating at their highest capacity to create the life that you want to live. So these challenges, um, January was physical. Uh, February can be counted, I think, as uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Sure. Um, there's 12 months in the year. Do you have something that is focused on these three um, characteristics or attributes throughout the year? Yeah, it's, I, I plan to do more challenges uh, throughout the course of the year. And I feel like all of the challenges are all three things. Ah, you know, so, you're right. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. I mean, if you look back through, like, I'm just, I'm just thinking about all the people who did burpees. Right. And you know, we had, um, we had women who were postpartum, you know, um, my wife is dealing with a health issue right now. We had people with shoulder issues. We had people who were working long hours. Okay. So the physical pieces, you do 31 burpees. Okay, cool. And the time limit gets smaller and smaller and smaller as we approach the end of the month. But to get them, just to get them done, what mental gymnastics did you have to go through when your day was long and your kids are screaming and you're hungry and you just came in from work and you've got your work clothes on, but now you have to change clothes and 
you know, like what are the mental gymnastics that you had to go through? Built up resilience. That's spiritual in my opinion. Exactly. And then, you know, what, how did you feel, you know, what was your connection to that experience when it was over? Were you bettered because of it? You know, was your spirit expanded because of it? Probably, you know, because the reality is if you did 31 days of 31 burpees, you probably were more committed than 99.9% of the population is to anything in their life at this moment in time. I see what you're doing and I really like it. Um, it's just for people that are unaware of what hard water is and where they can find it. Um, where can they find these challenges and, and join in? Sure. Anytime? Yeah. So uh, feel free to join us on Facebook. Um, just do a search for hard water one. So the way the the brand is spelled, it's H-A-R-D-W-O-D-D-E-R. WOD comes from workout of the day. Uh, which is a CrossFit and now a Spartan race term. And a lot of people are using it to represent work out of the day, but hard water are just people who are represented as giving all they have for all they want. So hard water one is the Facebook group, search it, feel free to join it. Um, you can find hardwater.com if you're looking for some apparel and ultimately we will be building hardwater1.com as a massive resource for wellness and fitness um, as we go forward in this coming year. And that is sort of the medium term, uh, plan. And then of course, if you guys want to reach out to me directly, uh, feel free, um, Jason Archer on Facebook or j.c.archer on Instagram. And I'll be happy to, to work with you guys or, um, take on any clients who are looking for a mindset training. Awesome. I, I love it. Um, are there any questions, Anything that uh, I didn't ask that you would like to share? I don't know, man. You uh, you ran the gamut there pretty good. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I'd change a thing. I think you right. did a fantastic job of of getting me talking and bringing information forth. So, well, um, one of my favorite content providers said that it's always super important to go to a good source of information that you want to acquire uh, someone who is practicing the skills and the mindset and the level of spirituality and depth that you want to be uh, at. And so being able to come and spend time with you in person has been great because I know what kind of a man you are. You've shown up consistently uh, for a long time in all of these areas, mind, body, spirit, and your a wealth of knowledge, and I appreciate your time. I really do. And as a part of the Good in the Head uh, podcast portion, I always uh, love to invite people to go to the website, uh, goodinthehead.com, go to the link that says interviews, and there are a ton of other questions. I hope that you um, someday will find the time to be able to go through and and answer. And then uh, We'll be able to link this podcast, all of your links and information there, uh, pictures, uh, and I'm really excited for people to be able to connect with you and hopefully on a, a super massive scale because what you have to share with the world, all the tools you've acquired and have been using uh, can be of massive utilization for everyone to enjoy. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to speak with you. I mean, you... <coughs> You, um, you sold me pretty hard there. I appreciate that. And the reality is for anyone listening to this, especially if you're, uh, on the good in the head, uh, uh, side of things, you know, definitely, definitely plug into Pete's content. He's putting a lot of energy and effort into what he's putting out. And I know it's coming from a very real place 
there's a lot of fakery in the world. There's a lot of BS floating around in the world. And I feel like what you're doing is you're cutting through a lot of the noise and you're bringing people some direct actionable information. So thank you for doing what you do. And uh, man, I, I love talking to you. I appreciate you, uh, you know, being on the mics with me today. And who knows, man, maybe we'll have to make it a regular thing. Nah, that would be cool. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.